Bible this morning, Ephesians 4. We're going to do a kind of a part two from what we were talking about last time here in Ephesians 4, 8 to 10, because I didn't get finished with the uh, thread of noon, the noon hour, which the threat is there again. Not a threat, but just, uh, hey, we got to get done. But uh, what I want to do is go back in and just look here once again, verse 8. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning. We thank you for the study of the word, for the desire of our hearts to learn it and to have it uh, grow in our hearts and in our lives. For your honor and for your glory, in your name we pray, amen. When we begin to talk here, we looked last time, verse 8, wherefore he saith, when he ascended up, on, and the he there is Christ, coming out of verse 7. By the way, Paul quotes this from uh, Psalm 68, and in Psalm 68 we saw how Psalm 68, 18 says, Thou, and says, uh, receive gifts instead of the giving gifts, and how Paul takes that moment and makes this connection that the Messiah of the Old Testament, Jehovah of the Old Testament, is the same one, he, he's the, the Savior, he's the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament in the, and in Paul's epistles. And he, there's that connection there. So anytime you read Paul quote, because Paul in Ephesians, Paul quotes the Old Testament quite a bit, and he makes a little adjustments. Everybody goes, oh, there's a mistake. No, there's not a mistake. That shouldn't be your knee-jerk reaction. Your knee-jerk reaction should be, okay, why is he making those little adjustments? What is the Holy Spirit trying to teach me here? And what he's doing here, and Paul, by the way, Paul does it, 1 Corinthians 10, he says the rock is Christ. Well, that's a reference back to Deuteronomy 32 where Moses gets on Israel about not following the right rock. Okay, so what is he saying? The same Lord, Savior, Jehovah, Messiah of Israel's program is our Redeemer. He's our Savior. He's our head. It's the same guy in what? Two different roles an earthly ministry, and a heavenly ministry. And so that's why dispensational Bible study is so critical because then you have to back up and say, okay, what's happening? So Paul begins that he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. How can he do this? Why is he able to do it? And that's really what verse 9 and 10 are about. Verse 9 and 10 are this parenthesis of information of what gives Christ the right to lead captivity captive and to give the gifts to men. By the way, verse 11, and he gave some apostles. There is some gifts given for the administration, for the orderly maintenance and the working of the church, the body of Christ, in the early days of the dispensation until the word of God was completed, till the fullness of the statue of Christ was revealed. When that happens, those gifts, 1 Corinthians 13, cease. They stop. They stop functioning. And then the best gift isn't speaking in tongues and all the other. By the way, the best gift, Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 12. We just studied this last hour, so you can go get last hour's DVD or YouTube. But he says over there, first apostles, second prophets, thirdly teachers, 
And then he lists all the other ones. He prioritizes three. So when he says seek the best gifts, which one do you think he's talking about? How about the first three? Why? All the other ones are there. They're important, but those are the better ones. And he says, I'm going to show you a better way. And the better way is, is for you to understand that that gift stuff's going to stop. It's temporary. And the word's going to come in, and that's what's going to move you along. That's why in 1 Corinthians 14, he gives that issue that prophecy, the gift of the prophecies, the prophet, was for the edification and the comfort and the exhortation, and yet we learn that the word of God is what replaces that. So the gift of the, but the question in Ephesians 4 is why can he do that? Why can he, our Savior, our Redeemer, our head, chapter 1's already described him as the head of, to the church, the body of Christ, why can he do that? Well, what did he do? He first, verse 9, that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He's, he's not talking about him going down into hell. Now, next Sunday we'll talk about, we'll answer the question, did Jesus go to hell when he died to take care of your sins? And we'll look at that, we'll examine that. But this, when he talks about the lower parts of the earth, Psalms 139, I believe it is, I'm doing this from memory, which is always dangerous. Psalms 139 is the book, it's a psalm of David, and it's about the DNA of you, of your being. He says in verse 15, Psalms 139, 15, My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Lower parts of the earth doesn't always mean hell. When God formed man, what did he do? He picked up the dirt, didn't he? Come over to Philippians 2. He picks up the dirt, and he makes a dirt man. He makes a mud man. That's the lowest parts of the earth is the dirt. That's what we're talking about. So what did the Savior do? What did Jesus Christ do? He leaves heaven's glory, and he comes down here, and he takes on who? Well, Philippians 2. He takes on humanity, doesn't he? Philippians 2, verse 6. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant. Now stop there. Angels are servants. They're ministering spirits. So he took on the form of a servant, right? But keep reading. And was found made, and was made in the likeness of men. He didn't stop at the angel realm. He was what? Made a little lower than the angels. He's made of the lower parts of the earth. He went down. He took on humanity. Folks, we might think we're the top of the food chain. We're actually the bottom of the chain. See? You know, now I say that, and I instantly know what's, you know. Well, you can just run, 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 run down the street. Because the thing is, is, he makes man to subdue and to have dominion over creation. I understand that. But when you think about when the Lord comes, he came where? He came down to, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He even went lower than being made a man. Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. He says, it's not enough for me to be a servant. It's not enough for, of me to be a man, but I've got to be a man that's obedient unto death. Are you obedient unto death? 
By nature, you're not. The last thing you want to do is die. You want to live and live and live, right? No, you got, you got things to do, see? But see, what happened? What did he, he says, no, I'm going to come over here, and I'm going to be obedient to a death that no man wants. He descended into the lower parts of the earth. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse number 9. Tremendous verse about this, on this. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's his grace. Here's his thinking. Here's the mind, have this mind which is the mind of Christ. Here's his mindset. That though he was rich, what was he? He was top. He was the preeminent one. He's in glory. In John 17, he says, Let, Father, let's go back to the glory I had with you before all this mess started. Let's go back. He's preeminent. He's rich. Yet for your sakes, he became poor. Think about that. He what? He descended down. And then he has an earthly ministry for Israel, their Jehovah, their, their Messiah. And then Paul says, based upon my gospel and the, the revelation given to me, he also did this. And he's doing that. That ye through his poverty might be rich. He leaves the third heaven. Now come back to Ephesians 4. All that's review from last week. Ephesians 4. He becomes rich. He becomes poor so that you can do what? Be rich. And Paul picks up on that in verse 10. And he says, he that descended, notice, is the same. See, it's the same guy. We're not talking about two Jesuses. We're not talking about, there's a crazy thing out there about two bodies. We're not talking about two bodies. We're not talking about twos of anything. We're talking about what? The same. What does he do? Also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. He left the third heaven, was made flesh, dwelt among men, goes to Calvary, dies for the sins of humanity. He's... Third day, he's resurrected. I love the angels. They look at the ladies and they say, why do you look for the living among the dead? Do you realize that if they understood the scriptures and that they believed the scriptures, they would have never went to the tomb? Because what would they have believed? That he was risen. He wasn't there. But because they didn't understand and they didn't fully grasp and believe the word, where'd they go? They're arguing about who's going to roll the stone away. When we get there, who's, well, we didn't bring the boys. We left them asleep. What's going on? And they get there and they go, okay, who took him? Nothing about he's resurrected. Where did he go? Where is he? That's why the, when they ask the, the man, it ends up being the Lord, where did you take our Savior? If you just tell me, I'll go get the body and bring him back. Don't worry, nobody's got to know. <laughs> wink, wink, wink. And he's like, no, it's me, and i got to go do. Now, watch verse 10. 
that he might fill all things. Here's why he ascended up far above. Here's how he can turn and lead captivity captive and give gifts to men. Okay? How can he do that? He ascended up far above that, the purpose, the intent, the reason, he might fill all things. It's from that position of being far above all heavens, all the the things out there, the governmental structure, that he sends down a program for the Gentiles. He sends down and he stops Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus in Acts 9. It's from that, come over to Acts 26. It's from that position. You got Acts 26? Hold on there and run over to Luke 16. Come on, you got to put all this together. If I can do it, you can do it. Well, let Luke go, we just for time. Acts 26. It's from that position. Acts 26. Verse 15, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It's from that position, far above all, that he reaches down and he says, But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose. There's a reason. He didn't just pick Saul of Tarsus because he had the best look walking down the road to Damascus. He doesn't just pick Saul of Tarsus because he's over here persecuting the church. He picks him because this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen and of the things in which I will appear unto thee. Now, Saul of Tarsus is a unique character. I think he picked him for the unique character side. Okay? He's a Jew and a Gentile. He's a half-breed, if you will. He's able to understand. He's sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He knows the Old Testament. He knows the law. He's a Pharisee. He's a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He's of the tribe of Benjamin. He knows that rule in and out. And then he comes over here, and now guess what? I got something for you to do. I'm going to deliver you from the people. There's unbelieving Israel. And from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee. Key word in there is the word now. Where are we? Acts 9, road to Damascus. He says, look, Saul, Saul, why? It's hard for you to kick against the pricks, the guilt. When you prick a heart, you're you're pricking a conscience. He's guilty. Those guys look in Acts 2, they look over there to Peter. Sirs, what must we be? They're pricked in the heart, the verse says. Sirs, what do we do? And he says, hey, you've got to repent and be baptized and get on with the program. Saul's the same way. I'm going to give you some information. And it's from that position of far above that he sends down the program to the Apostle Paul, that he reaches down and and converts Saul of Tarsus and then commissions Saul of Tarsus on the road. And the whole plan and the whole purpose of all of it is for him to take his creation and for him to have his creation run by creatures that are going to fill it all up willfully, deliberately, purposefully obeying and worshiping and serving him. And the whole purpose, come on back over to Ephesians 1. 
the whole purpose of him giving us the benefits of his victory. I think about that gave gifts unto men. I know in the context, talking about the spiritual gifts down there, but think about what he did at Calvary for you when you trusted him. Ephesians 1, verse 3, what does he do to you? What did he do to you? He blessed you with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. You got a blessing. Ephesians 1, verse 11, what does he give you? In whom also we have obtained an inheritance. You got an inheritance. In Ephesians 1, did I lose you? See, when he says gave gifts to men, I understand the context, but back that bad boy up to you and I today and the benefits that we receive because we trusted him and what he accomplished at Calvary because that's the message he gives to the Apostle Paul. It's a faithful saying that Jesus Christ came into the world to what? Save sinners. There's something going on here that's way beyond just, oh, you know, a little ditty on Sunday school. There's some depth here. There's some information here. There's a, there's a, he, he's creating a, an agency of people that he's going to use to fill up all the heavenly host, all the heavenly positions. And he's made us benefactor of his victory at Calvary. If you look there at verse 9, Ephesians 1 verse 9, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. The his there is the Father, verse 3. What's his will? I love this. According to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. He didn't ask you what you thought. He didn't ask Lucifer, hey, what do you think about this? He asked who? Himself. God the Father sat and came up with the plan. It's called glory in chapter 3. The Father of glory. We'll get there. He, he's the one that sat there and said, I got a plan here. That in the, and, and here's the plan, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. He says, I'm going to do this, but in order to do that, I've got to have, I have to have some people to use to accomplish that plan. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to create a new man. I'm going to create a new agency. I'm going to look over there. I got Israel. We got to, I'm going to make Israel, create Israel. Israel's going to be my earthly people. But I'm going to have this thing. I'm going to call it a body. The church, the body of Christ. Verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward? Who believe according to the working of his mighty power? which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. You want to see the power of God? You look to Calvary. What do you see at Calvary? You see the outward manifestation of the power of the Godhead. To do what? To die for your sin, pay your second death, and then up from the grave he arose. Death can't hold him. He's liberated from it. He has the victory. And then, he set him at his own right hand. He, he goes even up, man, he's up there way above it all, outside of everything, and he reaches down and says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm rich, but I'm going to be poor for you, and you can be rich. Verse 21 
far above all principalities and powers and mights and dominions and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. By the way, you see that far above all, that, that phrase, far above all? That's why you'll hear me say that the principalities, powers, thrones, all that's in the second universe, the second heaven. He's far above. Where is he? Third heaven. He's outside of everything. He's far above all. Everything else is underneath him. And what's he doing? Well, and he hath put all things under his feet and gave in him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. He's going to take the church, the body of Christ, and fill it up. He's going to take the church, fill it with people who willingly, freely, deliberately worship and serve and trust the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the Word of the Father, the Word of the Spirit. He's going to use all of that to fill up all of that rank and authority in the heavenly places. And how he can do it is because he first descended, went to Calvary, paid the, paid the price, paid for man's sin, and then was risen, but then he ascended where? Up. Okay? And it's from that position. Come on over to Colossians 1. Colossians 1. Now you've got to think about this. You've got a little dispensational study here. When he, in Acts 1 8, when, he, when he's received up, he goes up and he does what? He sits until it's time to make his enemies his footstool. Remember that? In Acts 7, when Stephen looks up, he sees the glory, he sees the armies of heaven ready to come back in war, and he sees the Lord do what? Standing. What's he ready to do? He's ready to come back into the universe and wage war, wrath. When he stands ready to do that, the Father moves him and says, we're going to do something different. Time for the other part of the plan, the hidden wisdom plan to hit. And the son goes, okay, let's go. And it's from that position everything works out. Colossians 1, verse 15. Who, talking about the son, his dear son, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. I love that. He's the image of the invisible. You want to see the Godhead, who are you going to look at? He's the Godhead bodily, isn't he? Look at the Lord Jesus Christ. For by him were all things... Back up, the firstborn of every creature. That firstborn, that term firstborn, he is, the re, is a reference to him being the head of all of, being the head of the creation, being head over all things. He, the Lord Jesus Christ wasn't born. He's God. He's just there. He existed. Okay, you got Mormon doctrines and all this weird stuff about Christ being born firstborn in what? He's the first of, he's the head over creation. Okay? Verse 16. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether there be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. So what are the all things? That governmental structure, the Thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, mights, all of that. 
And he is before all, by the way, they were, all things were created by him. There's John 1, 1 to 5. And what? For him. They're for his use. They're for his benefit. But wait a minute. He's the head over all things to who? To the church because he's the head over all things. He's, the head. he's, he's there for our benefit. The Father says this is all for your benefit. But it's also because if the head gets the benefit, who else gets the benefit? The body. At least I hope. That's what I'm going to tell myself when I'm eating that sub sandwich, you know. Right? The benefit in the body. Yeah. Woohoo. And not really. <laughs> Keep reading, verse 17. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. He's the, pre, he's the preeminent one. He's, on, he's the top place. And he uses the church, the body of Christ, to fill in the heavenly places. And he uses the nation of Israel, specifically the Israel of God, the little flock, to fill in the earth. He's their king, isn't he? But do you realize that in the millennial kingdom out there, David is resurrected and set on the throne over the nation of Israel. So you got two kings now. Not necessarily. You got David, he's the king, he's the man after God's own heart. He's resurrected, set in place. Why? Because you got the Godhead now about to become the center of it all. Because when you run over into the new heavens and the new earth, the Lord isn't the only one being exalted. Now the Father's plan is exalted. Now the Spirit's work product is being exalted. You read those passages where he says, I want to magnify thy word above thy name. In Philippians, he says, every, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. What's happening? There's some exaltation going on. Why? Because... Well, creation is where it should have been. In, it's where it was in Genesis 1:1. Should have been there the whole time. Everything's set right. Who's in charge? The Lord Jesus Christ. He's the preeminent one. He's the one that's going to go back to Ephesians 4. He's going to fill it all up. That he might fill all things. That word fill is a is a very interesting word. In Scripture, I should say, and especially in Ephesians. Remember Ephesians 5.18? Be not drunk with wine, we're in its excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Filled. Not fill up the container, because the container can only hold so much. But fill it up. If you take a glass and you fill it with water, what controls that container? The water does. What's in the con filled, controlled by. Colossians, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So to be filled is to be under the control of. It's to be consumed by. It's to dominate your thinking, your life. What dominates your thinking? What dominates your life? What dominated the Lord's life? Why in the world? I, I think about this. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He could have just stayed there and said, Father, I love the plan, but I'm just not going to do it. 
I don't want to go down there and walk around those people. They stink. Don't you know? You created them. I'm just, I'm being facetious, okay? Because he doesn't say that. He says, not my will, but he was God. What drove him to say, I'll go, let's do it. Put me in, coach. The love that he has for the Father. That desire to come in and say, you know what? I'm going to, he I'm going to be controlled. I'm going to be dominated by the will and the plan and the purpose of the Father. You and I have to have the same thinking. Because if you don't, you know what happens? You get bombarded by stuff. And the next thing you know, instead of walking, you're tossed to and fro instead of maintaining the line. And you've got to come in with that. That's what he's doing here. To fill up all, i got to keep going. All, that was a rabbit trail. I, there's so much more behind that, and we'll get there. It was a good one. Thank you, brother. Appreciate that. That he might fill all things. He's talking about taking control of the governmental structure of the universe and bringing it all back under the control and the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing. That's behind the scene, okay? That's bringing the universe to back to its proper function. I like that thing in the computer world and this little word called restore. Restore. Reset. That's what he's doing. He's doing Ephesians 1.10. Okay? Now, let's go back up to verse 8 because you thought we were done, but we ain't done yet. Back up to verse 8. How can he do this? How can he... Lead captivity captive. Okay? And how can he, again, we talked about this when we were, when we were talking about Satan's church and all that. And I, I want to look at it a, a, a little more with you. Okay? Because when he talks here about leading captivity captive, a common teaching is that when Jesus leads captivity captive, it's when he took the Old Testament saints who are dead in Abraham's bosom and moves them to heaven, to the third heaven. Okay? You with? All right. Because the, the question is, is when does Abraham's bosom, Hebrews 12 says it's a heavenly Jerusalem now, just men's souls. When does that happen? And they say, well, it's here when he... Lead, led captivity captive. It's here when he ascended up in Acts 1. It's there. Well, there's a problem. Come over to Acts 2 and just notice something. So in Acts 1, he ascends up, and they say that's when he led captivity captive. So in their thinking, what is captivity captive? It's the, the people in hell, Abraham's bosom side of hell. Hell's got two compartments in the Old Testament. Torments. And we'll get into that uh, next time. But what I want you to see here is there's a problem with him, with, them, with this idea of leading captivity captive being the issue of taking the Old Testament believers in Abraham's bosom and moving them into the third heaven. In Acts chapter 2, you've got Peter on the day of Pentecost. Now, just look at verse 34. Now, I, I, think about Peter. Luke 24, Peter's had his understanding open. 
He now, man, how in the world in Acts 1 can Peter quote Psalms 41 and say that that's talking about Judas when Judas's name isn't anywhere in those Psalms? <laughs> well, the Lord did what with him? Opened his understanding. He's able to do that. How can he look around and say, hey, and start quoting this? How can he do this? Like verse 34, uh, Psalms 110, Lord, sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. How in the world can he? Peter's got a lot going on. Now why? Because the Holy Spirit's come on him and has opened the floodgates of information. Now, look, if you will, at verse 34. For David is not ascended into the heavens. Now, is David a dead man? Yeah. Is he an Old Testament saint? Yeah. Where would he be? Abraham's bosom. In Acts 2, what does Peter say? He's not in the heavens yet. See how that, you got, now, we're not going to run the other 10 or 20 verses like that, okay? You can do that. But you see, you got an issue here. Right, right here in Acts 2, the Old Testament saints... They're not in heaven yet. Now, today, in the age of grace, by the way, they are. Okay, I'll just get that up so you know that. Come over to Hebrews 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Who's the writer of Hebrews? God. That's an easy answer. I, you know, we all have our ideas about the human author. Um, I personally think it, uh, it's uh, Barnabas, but that the close relationship between the language of Paul and the writer, Barnabas was there. Why not be Barnabas? It could, I mean, I've heard Luke. I've heard Thaddeus. I've heard Theodore. I've heard uh, a lot of different ideas. doesn't matter. Who wrote it? God did. Hebrews 12, look at verse 22. But ye are come unto, the, unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, a heavenly Jerusalem, and an innumerable company of the angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to the God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Well, where is that at? Well, now they're in the third heaven. So somewhere between Calvary and the writer here, what's happened? The Abraham's bosom has what? Move, paradise has moved from the heart of the earth into the third heaven. 2 Corinthians 12. 2 Corinthians 12. I know you've got to do a little thinking. It's only Sunday morning. It's okay. Won't hurt you. 2 Corinthians 12. The, folks, there is no scriptural reference to the when or the how they move from the heart of the earth to the third heaven. So when they use Ephesians 4 to say, led captivity captive, as the moving of the Old Testament saints, Abraham's bosom into the third heaven, they are wrong. Okay? It's just not so. I can't say it any more kinder. Okay? 2 Corinthians 12, verse 1. It is not expedient for me... This is Paul, doubtless to glory, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell. Paul's talking about himself. He can't say, well, whether Rick was in or out of the body, I couldn't tell. He goes, uh-uh. He says, I couldn't tell. Now keep reading. Such a one caught up to the third heaven. 
And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into what? Paradise. So what's in the third heaven? Paradise. Abraham's bosom. The Lord says to that thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. This event happens in Acts 14 when he's stoned and left for dead outside of the city. It's the only place in the, in the activity of the Apostle Paul that this would match. Okay. When they let, stoned him and left him outside of the city, what did they, they think he was? He was dead. He says, you know what? I was caught up into the third heaven, verse 4 there, and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. I got caught up there. I saw some stuff I can't tell you about yet. I will tell you about it, the book of Ephesians and following. I can't say this yet because we're not there yet. But, man, it is good because in Acts 14, you know what that fool does? Paul does? He goes right back into the city that just killed him. And you read Acts from Acts 14, 19 on, and you know what Paul doesn't care about? His life. Why is that? Because he knows some doctrine over here that he hasn't revealed yet until it's time. Now what I want you to see is what is the leading captivity captive then? It is not the commonly taught to be the Abraham's bosom moving up. Then what is it? And again, come back with me to Judges 5, and let's get the idea here. Judges 5, Isaiah 14, Genesis 8, no, get Judges 5 and Isaiah 14. We've already looked at this in our other studies on the Satan's church and so forth, because the captivity captive has to do with the creation, but also with man being under the control of the adversary. And we've studied that out. But this phrase is a reference. It's referring to those who hold you in captivity. Judges 5, look at verse 12. Awake, awake, Deborah. Awake, awake, utter a song. Arise, Barak, and lead thy captivity captive, thou son of Abinoma. See it, lead like they're captive. Do what? Let's lead them. Don't you stay captive. You lead those who have held you captive. He's talking about um, Isaiah 14. He's talking about those that hold Israel captive. That's what Deborah was. Deborah is a judge. Barak stands there with her. So that there's a completeness in the authority problem is never questioned. But Deborah's the judge, and she's leading Israel out of that captivity that they were under, which is satanic captivity. You take the people who hold you captive, and now you rule over them. Look at Isaiah 14, and look at verse 2. Again, just the idea here. So what is captive? Well, creation is, because when, when Satan sins, when he falls, what does he introduce into creation? Rebellion, sin, iniquity. Then he goes over here, God creates man to subdue and have dominion over, to bring that creation back under the headship and the control of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Satan says, that's no problem, I can get him. 
and I'll go here and talk to the weaker vessel, and I'll just wiggle my way into this, and what does he cause Eve and Adam to do? Well, by one man, sin entered into it, didn't it? What happened? He, so now who's in control? Saint, the adversary is. over. So the captive is creation and subsequently man. The creation would also include the heavenly places. It's all of that. Isaiah 14, verse 2. And the people shall take them and bring them to their place, and the house of Israel shall possess them in the land of the Lord for servants and handmaids, and they shall take them captives, whose captive they were, and they shall rule over their oppressors. That's leading captivity captive. You take those who have you in captivity, and now you rule over them. How did he do that? Calvary. Come to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. You see, folks, why he did it, there's a plan and a purpose. How does he do it? Calvary. Everything leads back to Calvary, to the cross. Don't get too far from the cross. Because when you start getting too far from the cross you start getting knee-deep in the mud. Colossians chapter 1, verse 12, verse 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. This is the fifth prayer that's given in in Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians to demonstrate what the mature saint's going to pray for. Okay? Colossians 1 here sums up the first three, or the first four. There's two in Ephesians, two in Philippians. Colossians comes in and ties a, ties a bow on the box. He says, I need you to have some knowledge, some wisdom, and some understanding. Why? That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. Folks, you want to give thanks unto the Father? You want to do that? You better have some wisdom, some understanding, and some knowledge. Without that, you can't do it. And if you think you are, you're doing it in the energy of your flesh giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet. I love that word, meet, qualified to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light who have delivered us from, here it is, the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. How did he do that? What gave him the rights to do that? In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. He left heaven's glory, descended down, became man, the second Adam, went and died the, the, the death that no man would ever want, was buried, rose again the third day, ascended up. From that position, he reaches down And he says, here's the information of what's happening and what it means. And when I did that, Colossians chapter 2, I led captivity captive, and then I blessed man. I gave man some gifts. Colossians 2, 
Colossians 2, verse 14, verse 13, verse 12, verse 10. Verse, you just, all right, start it at 9. For in him, yeah, start in Genesis. There you go. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. I'm in verse 9. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Boy, that ought to give you great comfort where your completion is. You're not in the bus, boy. You're not in the bellhop. You're in the top guy, the preeminent one. That's where you're at. And he says, in whom also. I love that. Man, you're complete in the guy. But also, you got all this. And he begins the list. Verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. You know what he did? He took that law that Romans 3 says made the whole world guilty. And he said, done. It's dead. It's over there. You don't live under it. I satisfied the law, the legal requirements, the legal demands, which was contrary to us. Took it out of the way. Contrary. Man, by nature, you didn't like this stuff. By nature, Romans 1.28, you didn't like to retain God in your knowledge, so what did God do? I give you up. You're under captivity. Go for it. Live your life any way you want. Worst judgment God could ever give man was turning them loose on their own. But he says what? Nailing it to his cross. And having, here it is, spoiled principalities and powers. Spoiled. What did he do? He led them captivity, captive. He spoiled them. He won the victory over them. He just didn't defeat the adversary. He took away, he took from the adversary the very thing the adversary possessed. You and I. When he led captivity captive, when he ascended up far above. Verse 15, he made a show of them openly. He literally shamed Satan to the core. There's no place that Satan could ever go to remove the, the shame, triumphing over them in it the cross open display you know why you ought to be thankful for another day of grace it's verse 15 because you've been made a partaker of that victory program you've been made a partaker of I got a plan and we're going to do the plan and the plan's going to involve people who come to trust me who will be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth and those people are going to learn and grow and I'm going to use them to just stick the needle in the devil's eye one more time I'm going to openly by the way there's a comma there but what so what did he do openly triumphing over them but in it in the Calvary, when he leads the captivity captive, when he does that and he gives gifts and he pours out that benefit to man, he does it because he won the right at Calvary to do it. One more verse, Ephesians 2. And folks, we're on high ground here. 
Okay? We're, on, we're at a level here where Paul's laying this out. He, we're, not in, we're not in the nursery over here in Romans 1. We're over here up because now what you see is when you learn Romans doctrine, that sound doctrine, that foundation, you see, now here's why. You've got to learn that to understand the why. But here's the why. What am I going to do with it? Well, Ephesians 2.7 sounds like a good place to be. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Boy, that's a great place to be. That's real living, by the way. Real living. It isn't winning the Powerball. I'm sorry. Now, if you do... I would rather you make me rich than poor, okay? I'll just be honest with you there. But the thing is, is that's not real living. That's fleeting. That's riches of this world. They're here today, gone tomorrow. Or here today, gone this afternoon. Real living is 2-7. Real living is saying, you know what? I get the opportunity to show the exceeding riches of his grace for how long? For the ages, plural, to come. And I get there because he didn't just defeat the adversary. He took me away from the adversary. And he's doing something with me that's going to last forever. That's wonderful. That ought to give you shivers up your back because it's just so wonderful. It does me. And we can understand that and we can grasp it. But it comes from what? It comes from understanding the cross. What did he do at Calvary? He died for the sins of man. And when he died, when he cries, it is finished. Then he bows his head, then he gives up. But what, it is fin- what was finished? Paying the second death of man. Covering it all. Nailing the legal requirements to him answering every little tick that happened. And he's got it. Then he looks at you and I and he says, I don't need you to do anything. I just need you to trust me. I just need you to believe me. I'm trying to think of Romans 4 or 5. I'm sorry. But to him that worketh not, but believeth. That's all I got. You don't have to walk an aisle. You don't have to join a church. You don't have to run. Just believe me. And the moment you do, I'll bless you. I'll give you a book you can read and study and learn all about it. But it's because of what I did at Calvary. Okay? Now, next time we'll answer that question about did Jesus go to hell, the torment side when he died, because that's what the other common teaching comes out of Ephesians 4, 9, and 10. That's where it comes from. Okay? All right, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank, thank you for your word. We thank you for the folks that are here, their willingness to come, to, visit, to, to learn, to study, to fellowship, and to put on de- demonstration and to make all men see the doctrine of who we are in you. In your name we pray, amen. All right, we'll stand, be dismissed with the song. Lord willing, we'll see you next week.